evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Long Division from 1991's Steady Diet of Nothing is Brian Sokol, a musician from Philadelphia. How are you doing, Brian? I'm very good, Ian. Thanks so much uh, for the time. Lovely to have you. I would like to... uh, offer you a virtual handshake and congratulations. Brian and I both got our uh, first dose of the COVID vaccine yesterday. So uh, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling actually uh, pretty good uh, other than having just a headache that seems to be sort of nagging all day, but it's like a dull headache. Otherwise, yeah. I'm, I'm A-OK. Yeah, I, I had it in the morning yesterday and by the end of the day, I was feeling sort of run down and I fell asleep real hard and just slept through the whole night, uh, which I don't usually do. But otherwise, I woke up today feeling pretty much fine. It's a little, it's a little strange here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, the, the the rollout of the vaccine has been a little bit hectic um, over the past several weeks. Um, so there's been a little bit of a mad dash of people trying to find vaccines and things like that. Um, but then, yeah, yesterday I sort of just got randomly got an email saying, hey, you know, you're available to get one, come on down, because FEMA and whatnot have started getting involved in the city. And, you know, you go and you get the shot, and it's it's been such this crazy year, and all of a sudden, and, you know, the idea of this vaccine, and then you go and get it, and it's like two seconds, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, like, this whole <laughs> massive swell down to this, like, single pinpoint of, like, the Big Bang almost, you know what I mean? It's 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 pretty wild when you walk out, you're like, that's it, okay, you'd, jeez, that's crazy. You'd expect there to be some, like, kind of pomp and circumstance, like they place a garland of laurels on your head or something. <laughs> Exactly. Or someone's going to pop some sort of confetti cannon at you and just be like, congratulations, <laughs> you've done it. You know, that but, would make uh, this so yeah, much uh, better. Some kind of reward yeah. for going through this whole <laughs> weird period. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's something else. That's for sure. So and are you a Moderna man or a Pfizer fella? I'm a Pfizer fella. Um, okay. I had no idea when I walked in and that's what I got. So yeah. they're supposed to get back to me for the next one. and We'll see what happens. I'm a Moderna man. Um, I it would be great if this became the next like big societal divide. It's like the Moderna people versus the, <laughs> the Pfizer models. people. And then we, we all forget about, you know, being liberals versus conservatives or whatever else and just, you know, arrange our society according to that. Well, I was going to say the way the society is operating nowadays, it seems like they'll find anything to pick, to pick <laughs> sides on. So, I mean, this it might as well be this. Yeah. Well, that has a little bit of relevance to the song we'll be discussing today. Uh, but before we get to that, let me ask you a little bit about your relationship with Fugazi. Do you remember how you first uh, got into them? Yeah, it's actually a completely insane story. I was thinking about it this morning. Um, I uh, first heard Fugazi from my cousin, who was a couple years older than I was. Um, Must have been, God, must have been 1989 or so. It was before Repeater came out. Um, you know, it was only just seven songs was out and, and margin Walker, they hadn't been combined into a CD or anything like that. They were just separate EPs. Um, and I remember on a family holiday, I was at her house, you know, Thanksgiving or something. And she would always like tip me off to these different bands as I was sort of getting into different sort of variations of music. I'd always been into music, but I was starting to sort of veer into, you know, more art rock, punk rock, things like that. And so she had this cassette which was the seven song ep and i looked at it and of course the photograph was striking sort of right away because on the cassette if anybody had has not seen it it wasn't the red border frame with the image it was just the image of you know gee's foot in the front of the frame and it's upside down and falling and it's just like what is this and i remember she put it on and of course waiting room came on and i mean for anybody who might have stumbled into Fugazi through that song, it's like the second you hear it, it doesn't sound like anything else that you had, had for me, had ever heard. Um, and so I was just immediately just like, whoa, this is amazing. But then the funny thing was about it, then I was you know, asking her about it, saying, you know, who is this band? Like, what's the story? Give me every detail that you have. And she starts say, telling me that, well, they, they, they're from France, 
They had to move to France because they were banned in D.C. They can't play anywhere in D.C. <laughs> you know, and of course, years later, you stumble across and you realize that it's like, you know, because the cassette said made in France, which is where they had all their you know packaging done for many, many years. Oh. And then you, know, you, you somehow throw in the mix of, of, you know, the history of D.C. with, with banned in D.C. and then the bad brains. And, you know, she just had her data wrong. You know what I mean? But to me, I was like, whoa, this band sounds insane. Like, how, why would they be banned from playing? <laughs> like, and of course, and at that time, you know, like the music sounded so unique to me. You know, I had never really come across such, you know, strong palm muting, like with how Waiting Room starts out and everything. And the bass sounded completely different to me. And just the whole production sounded different than what I was used to. And of course, I had not put the connection between minor threat with Fugazi. So I th didn't even know that, the, that Ian McKay was part of the band or, or was connected to minor threat in any way until months later when I was at, a, at some camp listening to minor threat and be like, man, he sounds a lot like this dude. Hmm. And of course, you know, pre-internet universe, you didn't know anything. You had to trust your friend to tell you something. So we finally discovered that, Oh, it's the same band. And then it started to all sort of fall together and that's where it kind of started, was kind of right there. And I was of the age where the first Fugazi record that I actually bought in the store um, was the um, three-song EP right before Repeater came out. Um, so I was kind of listening to them from the get-go, from those cassettes, and then started buying their albums and kind of went from there. And it really just sort of steered my attention to music somewhere completely different than it had been. That's, you know, it's fantastic. I thought I had heard every wacky rumor that there had oh, yeah. been about Fugazi, but <laughs> them being, uh, living in France because they're banned in DC is a new one to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. Never talked to my cousin about it again. She, she was funny cause she was, she knew of them because she was from around the Philadelphia area and her, she had a friend, she went to high school with some guys who played in a band called 400 Stitches. 200 stitches or four i can't remember which what it's called but they had played with fugazi a, uh, one or two times prior to my being able to go to shows or anything like that so i think that's kind of where she became aware of them but she wasn't like a big time you know punk rocker or anything like that so she was like i said just sort of passing along misplaced data to sort of fill in gaps in her, her own knowledge about a band so it was just kind of an interesting thing you know i just did a quick google for you and uh uh, on uh, September 23rd, 1989, in Philadelphia, at Drexel University, at Drexel, Fugazi played with a band called 200 Stitches. Correct. So yeah, I, I, I know that was, and that's the, uh, that's the Drexel Garage show that was like this insane situation where the temperature dropped 40 degrees in like two hours. Oh my God. <laughs> mm -hmm. They played inside of the parking garage there, so it was, it was crazy. Ooh, chilly. I've been to a chilly Fugazi show myself. Those guys, uh, they're good at pushing through adversity yeah. when they play live. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I mean, and that was, and that was sort of the thing too. Is like, so I had, you know, if you don't, if you don't mind me rambling a bit, I sort of immediately felt attracted to what they were doing musically. At the time, I played. I must have been, you know, I was just starting high school when I heard them, and my friends and I, we had you know a, a band that we played in. It was you know had started in middle school called you know it was a punk band called the Tasmanians, and then we became this band called the Random Children, and and we ended up playing a lot of shows around Philadelphia when Philadelphia was kind of devoid at the time of sort of a punk scene. It was kind of like a, a quiet period in like the music scene in Philadelphia. And we were young enough to sort of think that we would be able to sort of, you know, rah, 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 start the scene again in Philadelphia. Um, and so we were playing shows lots and we were kind of, um, you know, we put out a couple seven inches and we had a little, we started putting all ages shows on at a place down on South street. Um, and things were happening, which was really exciting, but our band was more of like a 77 type of punk style band, you know? And, I remember quite vividly the second I heard Fugazi, you know, I was playing bass guitar at the time in this, in this band called the random children. And I immediately was like, I have to play guitar. I like whatever they're, whatever they're doing with those guitars is so interesting <laughs> to me that I do not want to play bass anymore. And it was funny because the other fellows in my band at the time sort of were all sort of moved similarly. Once we started listening to Fugazi, just saying like this style of music we're playing is fine, but it's not speaking kind of where we want to go anymore. And I remember almost immediately saying we have to start sort of 
start doing something different. You know, it's almost like you hear stories like when Joe Strummer was playing with the 101ers and all of a sudden, you know, he sees he sees people and he's like, I can't do this anymore. I have to be a punk rocker. I have to change the style that I'm doing. It was sort of the same idea for us where we were just like, we have to change the name of our band. We have to change the style of what we're doing and start following this direction. Um, that's funny so, too, yeah, because was, I, I'm pretty sure that listening to Joe Lally, that's one of the moments when I was like, oh, okay, I'm a bass player. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. You know, when you hear those types of things, you know, and that's something, you know, obviously we can get into if we talk a little bit further down the line about when steady diet came out, it's, you know, there there's for me, there's so many things you know, Fugazi was always, and, and of course, at the, I think it's also important that at the age I was, it was such a formative time being musically interested that I think they just came at the right time for someone like me. You know, I'm sure for other people, there's other bands that did that for them. Um, but being 16 years old, uh, 15 or 16, and really kind of being interested in music and wanting to go down that path, it's just like, you couldn't find a better sort of example of something to sort of like be inspired by. Um and so it's like it's an interesting thing as you start to move down that path when you find something like that like you said for playing bass like a joe lather's one that you're just like that's it like that somehow is just speaking to me that's like the the mode behind my eyes that's like making me go somewhere and you just have to follow it and you do and it inspires you and it gets you excited and that's kind of what you do and then plus then just you know again it's like just the you know, the stories that you would hear, of course, you know, not being connected to the internet, but you would just hear all these stories about how they operated as a band and the things that they did and the, what they were singing about, especially at that time when they were certainly singing a much more black and white AB type of style of lyrics and things like that. It's just kind of like, wow, like they're, they're saying something so simple and powerful. And, and for like a young kid, it's just like, you know, it just makes so much sense, especially when you're in the midst of identifying as something that you know, I was talking to somebody last night about it. It's like when you're young and you're sort of trying to find yourself, the one thing I was always aware of is like, you may not know who you are at that time, but what you start to do is you start to define who you aren't. And I think, you know, with music and things like that and bands like a, a band like Fugazi or somebody that inspires you, it starts to block things out of saying, yeah, like what they're saying is identifies me as recognizing what I'm not about, more about what I am about, which helps me sort of follow that path into becoming an adult, you know? It's a band that gives you some possibilities, uh, tells you about some things uh, that you might be interested in focusing on, identifying some problems in the world, and, uh, yeah, totally. and letting you know that there are people out there who care about it and want something done about it. Yeah, and 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 can give you an alternative, and it really, you know, it's the same thing as people said about punk rock. It's like all of a sudden I saw bands and I realized that I could do it. I didn't have to like study guitar for ten years and play like yes, you know, like it'd be like Sex Pistols and play guitar. Well, it was a similar thing. It's like with bands around that around that time, the late '80s and early '90s and stuff. You started to realize that like you can do more with music. You can do more with what you're trying to accomplish with your life and you can be inspired to sort of be a better person. They, rather than just sort of focusing on, I just want to write this great song, you see a band like Fugazi and, and other bands who are standing up for something and, and specifically speaking to things that were topical and they become like, you know, your generation's clash. And all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, this this makes sense. They're saying things and introducing you to concepts that you may not have been aware of where you were living, but all of a sudden it opens the world up and saying, wow, I have to investigate these things. And, and, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I never thought a band could play a benefit show. You know, I (laughs) never thought a band could do all of these things, you know, and it just, it rewrites sort of like the, the uh, narrative for you. Speaking of learning about things, delving deep into things today, we're talking about long division. I have a couple of short remarks to kick this off which is that, you know, first of all, it's at 2 minutes and 12 seconds. It's the shortest song on the album Steady Diet of Nothing. So uh, more like short division, am I right, Brian? <laughs> exactly. Great A joke there. Um, yes, yes, yes. Another interesting fact about it, people might not guess it, but it's the number four most played song in the Fugazi live catalog. It's uh, had, uh, as far as the statistics I could see, 496 outings. So um, yeah, it's one of their, it's one of their top five that they would pull out yeah. very often. Yeah, it was in- it was interesting when you were saying that. I was actually doing some hunting online too to find track down when possibly the song was sort of like being worked on and being written, and, and when did it first appear, and when did they first really play it, and that. So those stats are very, very interesting to me. I didn't get that deep into it, so that's pretty interesting to hear. 
Yeah, and it's one of those that you can you can kind of imagine why. Like I keep going back to whenever I hear them, um, you know, play one of their more chill numbers. It's like wow, in the middle of a Fugazi set when they you know famously are just going all out, um, really giving it their all. It sounds really appealing to be like, all right, guys, let's play Long Division. Um, let's slow it down a little and do this great little uh, melodic number. Totally. It's also interesting because it's like, you know, for me too, it's like it seems like one of the first times they really sort of go in this direction. Um, you know, it's it, it's definitely like a unique song up until this point that where it's this almost like lullaby type of melodic quiet steady song um yeah and certainly there had been quiet parts of fugazi songs before this but as far as an entire song yeah like what song before this uh was was this laid back i don't think there are any no and without some sort of like yeah without some sort of like you know visceral release to it there isn't um so it's pretty interesting yeah well those brief introductory remarks aside, um, I always like to give my guest the first say about, is there something specific about the music or the lyrics that uh, you'd like to start talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of actually a, a good spot to, to jump into, because that was the one thing that I really was thinking about, was how this song really kind of started, you know, something different in their, you know, catalog of music up until that point. Um, I remember... You know, for me, like Steady Diet of Nothing is an interesting record in their catalog because um, I remember when it—I remember when it came out. Or at the time, I, you know, I would buy every Discord record that came out each month, and this was definitely in the cycle where Discord was really one of their prime sort of cycles. I mean, every month a new great record was coming out, and you're just like, I'm just waiting for it to come out, and I'm buying it. Right. Um, and I remember when this was this was sort of being touted, you know, and saying it's coming up, it's going to be released. Um, you know, you're just kind of waiting for it to come out. Um, and, and so when this record came out, it was like, you know, after repeater, obviously, which is like this culmination of what the first two EPs had done. And it's like, you know, recorded so epically and the whole thing is, you know, just tight, just flawless and just incredible. Um, and, but, but at the same time, it's interesting. It's also to me, repeater kind of is understandable in the sense that it fits the narrative that they've created in that the songs are primarily these, these sort of anthemic numbers. The lyrics are kind of very direct. Um, the, even the artwork is kind of traditional in the sense of what a band would do with, you know, it's got a live photo on the front. It's got the band photo on the back. There's live photos in the, in the insert. Um, it's just sort of like a standard understandable thing. And then all of a sudden the diet comes out, um, and you're kind of, I, I found that I was faced with this entirely different scenario. Um, you know, the record cover is completely confusing. Like, you know, to my mind at the time, it's like, what is, who is this person? Is this an old photo? Is this a new photo? Um, is this someone they know? Like, what is this? Like, why does this story represent? What is a steady diet of nothing at the time? I, you know, did not know that it came from Bill Hicks or something that he was talking about in the stand up comedy. Um, you know, you're instantly confronted with, at the, I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt or seen, um, I don't know what your library, library of records is, but the original pressing of Steady Diet is probably one of the cheapest feeling pieces of vinyl that I've ever come across or own. Huh. Um, it's, it's gotta be, you know, nowadays everyone does 180 milligrams of vinyl. This thing's gotta be like two milligrams of vinyl. Wow. I mean, it's like, it's paper thin. The, 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 the paper sleeve, the, the, the jacket is super thin. And I remember getting it being like, what is this? Why is this so poorly? Why is it so flimsy? I'm so confused by it. Um, but then there's so many things on the record that then are jarring. You know, you've got a song like Reclamation. And all these great songs that you've never heard before that are so presented in like this unique way. I mean, they just don't sound like any song you've ever heard before. They do the thing with Steady Diet where they split a song up, an instrumental between two sides for tracking, which at that time I had never heard. Hmm. And then you have a song like Long Division where they have this super chill, quiet, melodic, sort of beautiful lullaby song that's also kind of talking about something kind of intense sounding. Um so there was just a lot of 
interesting stuff going on there at the time, which just was like, wow, this is totally going somewhere different. And then the same thing with, like I was saying with the artwork, you're looking at the insert and they've got photos of chairs in a room. What the fuck are they? What is that? You know, <laughs> um, you've got a photo of a teepee and the same thing. You're just like, what is going on here? Like, this is something that does not up until this point fit the narrative. And on top of that, then you have this totally strange, bizarre production that does not sound like what they had sound like before. Um, and at the time, I was kind of like sort of lost with it. I was like, I love these songs, but I don't really understand why this record sounds like this. Um, and so now it seems like Steady Diet is, is somewhat suffers from people thinking that it's one of their weaker records. I mean, even the band talks about it in a lot of places that they felt it was kind of like, Eh, not really what they had hoped it to be. But I actually start to feel now, having this much distance from when it came out, it's like, I think it's actually one of their stronger records of their of their career because of its starkness, because of its like brutalness. I mean, it's just so Spartan. And everything about it is just so, to me, like brutal that it just still stands today. Like, it's just just in your face. And so a song like Long Division is kind of like a perfect example of that. It's just this, there's no flair, there's no, there's no, no bullshit to it. It's just perfectly laid out, perfectly sung, and just powerful. So it's, it's pretty interesting, but I'm just rambling on now. No, you, you said a mouthful there. There's, yeah, so much truth to that. I mean, there's, there's a long, rich history of bands sort of bucking the trend, right? Releasing an album that nobody expected from them. And I mean, you know, to mixed results, some of them have been successes, huge successes. Some of them have been like considered widely to be failures, but it's definitely one of those common threads throughout music um, that is is like a, a continuing um, a continuing point of fascination for me, at least. Definitely. And, you know, and I think it's also very interesting, like, um to re- rewind just a touch, I, as I had mentioned, when I was playing in a band called The Random Children for you know for several years around Philadelphia, we sort of adjusted after we started finding these this new musical source, Fugazi, and several other bands, and we became a band called Franklin that played for like ten years in Philadelphia and you know put out several records and did you know random tours here, there, and everywhere, and and. You know, all of those components sort of came from that experience of like learning that new language of music. But what was interesting is right before we became this band Franklin, in March of 91, well, probably February, we got a phone call from friends of ours who worked at WKDU radio station at Drexel University. And the fellow in my band called me up and said, You're never going to believe this. And we're just like, What? He's like, Fugazi's coming and they've asked you to play. Uh, not Fugazi, but the, but WKDU said they want you to play. Um, so, you know, we were like, couldn't believe our luck that we were going to play this show. And so, you know, we ended up playing it. Um, it's li- it's on the Fugazi live series, which is pretty amazing to be able to go back and listen to that show and, and have experienced it from sort of both sides. But it was played before Steady, the show was, you know, was before Steady Diet came out. Um, they had, you know, it, it seems like they recorded steady diet in january of 91 and the show was on march 2nd so it was pretty much just after they had finished that record and were heading out on tour that they played this show and so this is the first time that i had seen fugazi um and then also my band was playing and it was in this huge auditorium at drexel and i remember and we made you know our band made flyers for the show and when we played i couldn't believe how many people i was staring at up there i mean it was like 1800 people and it just looked like just an ocean of humanity you know um but you know so many of the songs from that set were from steady diet which had not come out yet and so if you're a person who hadn't seen them you're seeing you know didn't live in washington and didn't see them tons before this is the first time you had seen many of these songs and long division was was played that show and i remember very you know specifically them playing that song and just being like whoa like what is this and just finding it so sort of like impactful in the middle of the set because the show had been sort of run rampant with wild people in this in the set as their shows tended to be at this time somebody was running around with a razor blade cutting people and the show had to get stopped many times you know ian and gee would stop the show and have to kind of calm everybody down which 
like you said, kind of sort of also probably goes back to kind of maybe it's nice to have a song like Long Division to slow everybody down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of them playing that show and, you know, I was listening to the recording, I downloaded it so I could listen to it again to remember kind of the whole process. And there was a guy, you know, inevitably fighting somebody in the set in the middle of Long Division, you know, and he's basically saying, you know, I'm not your adversary. And he stops the show. He's, yo, 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 hold on. You, you know, don't punch at people in the head and the crowd goes crazy. But I remember being on the side of the stage watching the show when this happened, the show had stopped and already sort of listening to Long Division play. And he explains to the person in the audience, like, no, 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 don't get mad at me. You know, like, I'm just stopping you from doing something stupid. You're acting stupid. And if somebody was doing it to you, I would tell them to stop doing it to you as well. Hmm. And the band, of course, continues to play in the background as they would. And then Ian begins to sing directly to the person that he's speaking to. He goes, the rest of the song goes like this. And he sort of, and he, but he speaks the lyrics. So, I'm not your adversary. You know, I'm not your reason to crack and divide. And all of a sudden, it becomes this, like, moment you know where these lyrics are, are you couldn't have written it better i mean he's singing these these songs about that to say don't point you know your finger at me as if i'm the one that's doing this to you it's like, don't use me as your excuse um and it's just like such a, a moment that i still just remember so when the record came out and that song was included on there i was just desperate to hear that song again because i remember having a vhs tape of the show and i would watch it over and over again and be like what is that song that song's so cool and learning it on the guitar and then hearing it finally on the recording, I was just like, this is incredible. Like this, this is the song that I've been waiting to hear for the, you know, the year that I've been waiting for it to get this record to come out, you know? That is incredible. And I'm, did, did you see that there's, it looks like there's a recording of the whole thing on YouTube. There is. And that's the thing is you can see, you can actually watch that entire show because, you know, KDU would have this, have this, you know, had this, you know, show that they recorded because the show was then aired on wkdu's um television station for directional students so that video always existed people would always say like oh late night i saw your you know the fugazi show and i saw random children play and all this other stuff and then that video made it up onto youtube and yeah the whole set is there and it's and it's also really funny because in the background like i'm there just over ian's um amplifier with this big ass you know 1989 VHS camera filming the show because like, <laughs> dude, I'm playing the show, but I'm also going to film this because, you know, I have to have a document of them playing because, you know, they're like the most important band to me at this time. Um, so it's weird to sort of see that entire cycle loop. Like you have it now that this whole thing is documented in so many ways, you can see it, but it's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, so like when, when Long Division came out on record, it was just like, you know, in the, you know, again, back, not trying to be like in the you know being an old person but you know when you didn't have access to all this data so quickly you know you would see a song at a, at a live show and you just be like what was that song and you just have to wait and hope that the record would come out on the next record you know absolutely it's i've i think i've said this before but the, the feeling of almost everything before the internet is so i feel like it would be host, so hard to describe to um you know to a kid who who grew up always having all this information at their fingertips you know like he and and like you were saying about the rumors about who fugazi were this band that lived in france or whatever it's you you had no way to to see images or let alone moving a video of them you just you had this information floating through the air about this mysterious band these these people and hopefully uh, you hear somehow that they're going to be playing in your town soon and you can go. But otherwise, it's like they remain a mystery. It's it's totally. so it's such a different world. Yeah. And, and, and it, exactly. And that's the thing. is, and, they, and there were still those examples. Like I remember seeing bands play like a good example is Lungfish. Like Lungfish was one of my favorite bands. And, you know, they used to play this song towards the end of their career called Armageddon. And every fucking every fucking lungfish record that came out i'd be like oh i can't wait because i guarantee armageddon's gonna be on it never was <laughs> and it never came out wow. you know you can watch it now on youtube but it never came out so like that disappointment is always there but when you would hear something and it finally came out it was such a rush to be like yes i can finally listen to it i can finally get to this and really really you know get your teeth into it and enjoy it you know and that's how i felt when fugazi finally released furniture i was like at last oh Yep, a hundred percent. I actually just listened to that. I listened to your show, like I said, when I was driving down to get my shot. I was I put on a couple a couple 
episodes to listen to and i was like oh, i'm gonna watch listen to the furniture one and uh and yeah it's it, i agree because i had always heard you know i had always had the fugazi demo for a long time and those songs I was like how are these songs not coming out you know i unlike some people i was a massive fan of like furniture and and the word and lay down your guns i was like these are fucking great songs and i always wanted them to come out so when furniture did yeah i was i was kind of blown away so it was really fun to listen to that show of yours to be like yeah I totally agree. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> to go back to something you mentioned, I'm checking out that uh, that Drexel show on the Fugazi Live Series website. You, did you guys make the flyer with the Cookie Monster on it? <laughs> I, I actually made that myself. Whoa, that's you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I had made that. It's actually, if you look through those other photographs, you'll see the one. There's one where the key's in the front ground, and there's a guy. Oh, that's a picture you can see. Like, I'm over the the speaker of ian's amplifier with the video camera filming which is you know again just oh, kind of like yeah. this funny thing there you are um, you're sort of right in the yeah, crook of of Guy's pant leg and his guitar yes. neck. wow <laughs> exactly there you go. but a fun, but i'll tell you a funny thing about that 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 uh flyer as well as that you know in you know in those days everyone made a, everybody had played a show made every show had like five different flyers you know what i mean like so i made one somebody else in the band made one and you just stick them up everywhere but that flyer was weird i I made that flyer didn't think anything of it and then i think it was two years ago yeah two years ago i was walking down and i was walking in philadelphia and i stopped into a local record store that i go into all the time and they have a poster section, you know, I don't know who buys posters anymore, but they have a poster section, those flipping boards that you look through. Yeah. And there's that flyer blown up to full poster size for sale <laughs> in the poster section. And I was like, what? So yeah, apparently, apparently somebody's bootlegging some shitty flyer from 1991 and, and you could and you could spend $7 to buy it as a poster. So I was like, what is, what a weird world it is, you know? Yeah. I guess you're not getting any royalties for that. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> well, but, uh, but I don't know what should be weirder. To, I think it'd actually be stranger if I did get royalties from something <laughs> like that, you know? You deserve so. It's a cool little poster. I like it. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> It's well. It's it goes back to like what you're saying, you know, when uh, it's Steady Diet came out and you being mystified by the images they chose to put there, people would be like, "Well, why is there why is there Cookie Monster on this uh, rock totally. show flyer?" It's it's that yep. same sort of feel. Doesn't make any sense. It's just like the first Fugazi record with them coming out of a bowl of spaghetti. What yeah. the fuck is that? And to Who be fair, that? I'm assuming that you didn't pay the Jim Henson uh, whatever Muppet <laughs> Workshop for use of that image. So you know what goes around comes around. <laughs> Exactly, you're right. My my theft is followed. <laughs> this is not a Cookie Monster poster. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome, and and yeah, I'm. It looks like you're in the in the comments uh, on this um, live series episode, and and you dropped a little link to where people can read more about your experience with that. So um, I'll I'll put that link in the show notes too. Somebody else said oh, yeah. in this comment section, I believe Ian's amp caught on fire. Is that something that happened? Do you remember that? It it did actually. He's his um, head sort of basically like started smoking. I think it was before one of the encores, um, and there was like this long break before they had they could start their encore again because the, the you know one of the tubes started like lighting up like a firework in the box, and wow. they had to kind of like check it out first. So, um, but I'll tell you, that I, you know, like one of the most amazing things, and I look forward to whoever you chat with about reclamation. They started that show with that song, which I think is probably one of the greatest opening songs you could ever have of a set. Um, because again, as a, as a first timer to see someone play a guitar where you're that that quick, fast strumming, which I had never seen anyone do before, um, and then with Joe's bass coming in, it was it was just a mind blowing moment to see that and just be like, "Whoa, this is insane! What they're doing." <laughs> I'm definitely going to set aside uh, an hour as soon as I can and watch this whole thing. Um, because, oh yeah. yeah, it's great. Watch the intro. It's the whole thing is very. It's it, the whole show is was something. It's re- it was really great. But yeah, but, the, but like I said, then the other thing is interesting. Like to get back to actually like the album of of it. It's like you know that record. I mean, how do you feel about that record? Do you, are are you a strong believer in Steady Diet of Nothing, or is it something that you feel is like a a dead dog well like what are your thoughts i'm curious no i i wouldn't say it's a dead dog i mean i i am one of these run-of-the-mill people who thinks it's probably to me their weakest album 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, you know, as I've said, it's all in context. Fugazi is such a fantastic band that to say that it's their weakest album isn't <laughs> that's not throwing right. too much shade at it uh, to me. I, <laughs> it's it's still great. And I mean, spoiler alert, I think Long Division might be my favorite song on it, actually. It's oh, uh, wow. there's something special about it to me. It's it's really gorgeous in a way. It's been much remarked upon how sort of dry the album is, how stark uh, the production is. And this is exactly the kind of song that you would feel might benefit from a little bit of reverb here and there, a little bit of, I don't know, some kind of studio magic. Um, But, you know, no, it's it's left alone and it's it's one of those it's a song that has to coast on the strength of its composition. And I think that's really strong. They really show uh, their prowess as musicians um, in, uh, in making this. It's, it's a, it's a simple song in a way it's, you know, it's only one part. It's um, it repeats several times the melody. Um, The main guitar part is just only really like five notes repeated. Right. But yeah, the, the interplay with, the bass guitar and the drums, to me, it's um, it just really comes together in a magical way. Yeah, I think it's pretty. I think it's, I it's interesting. I'll play on the other side of the fence for you with that. I think I I do a lot of recording. I've I've recorded music a lot and stuff like that. And and I think it's again. I think looking back on it now and going back and listening to it now, I appreciate it more um, of how dry it is. To me, like I think you're right that logically the song is would benefit from from this like roomy openness that might come with some reverb or something a little bit to give it a shimmer or something. But I think because it's so Spartan and because it's so dry that it forces everything totally to the front. That it's it is so confrontational that there is nothing hidden in it, like you were kind of kind of alluding to as well that. You hear, I feel like when you listen to it, you hear every single piece of equipment that's playing. And specifically, you actually hear like the wood. Like, I'm, I'm always amazed when I listen to it how it almost feels like Brendan's drums. You can, you don't only hear the tone of the heads, like, you hear the tone of the ringing of the, of the woods specifically. And the whole thing to me has kind of this woody, reedy type of feeling, especially. When Joe comes in with his bass line, which is of course like just incredible how it like hugs the entirety of what Ian's guitar is doing and, and so perfectly just entwines around that. Um, you hear the, 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 the strings, the slide of the strings of like a, what a, what a fresh sound of like bass, you know, of, of wound bass strings sounds like when you're playing them through, you know, a Galen Kruger or through a, you know, a, a four, eight, something like that and everything is just like so right there and then when brendan starts dropping in all these like quick shuffle fills which are so kind of cool that you know end on the snare and they don't really go anywhere per se but it just loops you back into that like you said that perpetual riff that just keeps going um i don't know it just it's it's so awesome to me now that i'm just like i just can't get away from it just being like it's so ballsy to me um that I just love it. I love everything about it in the, in that sort of like no fuck withable system. They're just like, no, <laughs> this is it. We're done. And and again, like it's interesting to read stories about when they say that that, that yeah, you know, it's steady diet of no reverb and and you know all these things that kind of like take the piss out a little bit on the record. That I'm always like, man, I feel like it's almost like one of the bravest things you guys did. Like it's just fucking bare. It's just through the through the speakers, put the microphone up, and let's see what happens. And the, dem- the you know the democracy of the recording is so interesting to me. Nobody does that. Nobody you know when you record an album says like let's just have everything sort of be all at the same volume, <laughs> you know, and just see and let the songs just sort of live and breathe as they actually are. You're always tricking things out. You're always fading something up, fading something down, putting compression on something. And this it's like nope. <laughs> this is just <laughs> this is what we're doing, and and this is how we're going to go. You know, it's it's interesting, and it's also kind of cool too. Like. They even let like little weird sound because it's so dry. You hear everything, and so like you hear something like I had written it down. You know the the opening guitar riff, which is the you know the riff of the song that Ian plays. There's like 
he hits like a, a sour sort of like note, but like the eight, se- eight second mark where the finger doesn't hit on the, on the fret just right. Yeah. And, but they just leave it. It's fine. It's good. You know? And, and it, again, it kind of gives us this earthy, almost like totally honest feel to me. That's just like, boom, that's it. No smoke and mirrors, right? Yeah. Not at all. I mean, everything about it. And, and even the vocals, I mean, Ian singing is even, I mean, it's, there's nothing there's, I mean, there's, there's no room there. There's just, it's just his voice. So like, I do think I'm, I appreciate too, like he hits some interesting notes where he drops from a high register down to a low and he hits it pretty much spot on. And it's like, like you said, it just sort of shows their ability at this point. I think, like you said, there's just no smoke and mirror. So you really just see what it is. And it's this, this beautiful sort of statement. And it's like we had talked about earlier, it's like this original statement. They hadn't done anything like this. They don't they don't go back to saying, all right, let's just, you know, turn this big ending on and let it go crazy. Um they're just like, no, we're just gonna keep this thing totally chill. It's um maybe the closest to like seeing Fugazi live, especially in, you know, one of the random venues they would play that's not really meant as a concert venue, not acoustically treated. Um and it's just sort of you get what you get it's like yeah there's a sound man who's like mixing levels but you know he can't turn down the drums and or turn down the amps on stage and so the production of steady diet can be sort of akin to that and yeah with the vocals like i was listening uh, i was watching a couple versions of this um online and looking at what ian was doing this is a song where i guess the space of it really allows him to play with um, like play with his his the singer's relationship with the microphone, his, the physical relationship, in more of a way than some other songs. Like he some stanzas, some lines he'll sort of back up off the microphone and shout a little bit, and then some yep. he'll be very very quiet but get right up on the microphone. Especially um, I think in most versions when he sings, this is a parting, he'll get right up on the microphone and just do that, deliver that very softly. Um, but just playing with those dynamics, um, because that's that's something you can do in a live show. You know, you're it's not going to be overproduced, and yeah. you you can, um, yeah, you can try interesting things in that way. And 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 that goes back to that you know talking about that show back in March where that just that break in the song where he's actually then be able to lend those lyrics to speaking to somebody who's acting poorly at the show. It, it'll you know like that song becomes very conversational the lyrics become very conversational and you know whether you want to like dig into lyrics and, and try to determine what he was thinking i think the best lyrics always are the ones that speak openly to sort of lots of topics um and those lyrics certainly do i mean you can attach them to a specific small moment in time just like he does in that break of the song where someone's acting poorly but you can also read those lyrics as being the entirety of most human relationships and someone you're always going to have a problem like this, where this breakdown is going to happen. The separation is going to happen. So, um, you know, it's that, that quietness is there to be able to sort of breathe and, and, and be like conversational, which is interesting. You're so right about the lyrics. It can be applied to so many situations. And more than that, uh, you know, it's not only that, I think it's the, the, the titular division could be interpreted as a good thing or a bad thing depending yeah, on how you true. read it which is like it's it's even more of an extreme uh in terms of you know openness of interpretation because i was yeah i was tossing around possibilities in my head and i had this idea that you know it could be i think the phrase that most readily came to mind was divide and conquer and yep. i was thinking about how you know, uh, this this song could be about how the powers that be find wedge issues to divide us when, you know, in fact, we're not enemies of each other. Um, I think most people uh, would have a lot of common ground to agree upon, but um, they are kept at odds with each other. Um, of course, a negative thing, but I had also been reading it as sort of like, you know, this is a parting some separation we lay in pieces cracked to survive it could be about a necessary division a um uh, a parting that is ultimately good for us it could be talking about 
uh, ending a relationship that ultimately isn't good for you, right? Yeah. No, and, and I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, that's what I think is, again, sort of like so successful with the song from that standpoint, because up until this point, so many of their lyrics, at least Ian was doing, I mean, Guy was always a little bit more esoteric, but Ian's lyrics were always kind of like more direct, right? You could recognize them as being a little bit more in your face. Um, but then all of a sudden you have this, like, like you said, this like poetic delivery of a song that has all this interpretation um and so it really does start to sort of go into this sort of art universe of like it's all in the way that you're coming at it and how you're reading it and how it's sort of working for you at that time um which i think is pretty interesting and i think you do i think you make a great point about that whole that one moment i think a lot of people focus in on the i'm not your villain not your adversary but I think it's a really good observation that cracked to survive, I think is, is a, a really important point of that. Um, you know, what does that mean? And, and yeah, sometimes you have to leave relationships or, or situations that are better for everyone and allows you to grow into something new and different. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of this relationship that I had ages ago in my life where it got, it got to the point where it was like, I could pursue this and really try to make it work. But I just saw my future as like that leading to me being sort of a brokenhearted alcoholic, like oh, Im- impoverished. Like I like I was like, this would I think this would break me if I tried to pursue this. So instead, even though it hurts, I think we'll just let it be and try to leave it in the past and, and go on to brighter pastures. And that's yes. yeah. No, and that's that's interesting, and I think it's also interesting to look at it's you know potential. You know, you basically have four, what four stanzas in the song, and I you know you can also even look at it as four separate moments, um, as opposed to a cohesive lyrical statement. Yeah, perhaps each each one is a is a is a is a situation where you're talking about this division and, and something breaking. So, in one situation, it's a it's a positive in that you're breaking away from something and allowing you to sort of grow and change. In another situation, you're sitting there saying, don't point your finger at me as if I'm the one that you're using to crack and divide. Um, it's, you know, there's just so many, so many ways to go about it. And I, like I said, I think that's where it becomes very interesting. I always, I was like, I, I sometimes I, I used to have these like thoughts when I would stop and listen to Fugazi and think about it. I was like, I wonder if Ian, after a while, got so tired of being taken so literally. Yeah. And then also was like, impressed by Guy's ability to write these sort of poetic political statements that it's almost like he started to challenge himself to be a little bit more vague in his moments and be a little bit more poetic in what he was trying to say to allow you to have some interpretation. Because, you know, it's like being a lyric writer or a lyricist or a writer or a director or anything, it's like often the worst thing that can possibly have is someone taking everything you're saying and, and saying that there's, this is why you wrote that. This is why this happened. Like I saw someone wrote some, something on some board saying, oh, this song's about the division and the DC music community. And he, he was talking about it. It's like, what? Yeah. No, like, I, I mean, do we, I could totally see that as being true though. Like I, I don't think you can listen to this song without that considering that as a possibility like yeah the, the whole agreed all the people who we, have a problem with like straight edge or whatever and be like oh right, ian right. mckay is full of shit like this guy sucks and it's like listen man i'm not your adversary here we're we're like totally we're in the same music scene we're on the same side ultimately like don't get focused on the bullshit right and don't and don't use me as a scapegoat in the situation as if i can't do it but i just mean like it's like good art is always open to like wide, wide interpretation, right? Sure. The most successful thing is that anybody can look at it and come to it in a different way. So like you said, I mean, he could have probably written lyrics that would be so sort of spot on to what he was saying, but in this, uh, this his, you know, is sort of showing his talent of sort of leaving it a little bit more open than maybe he's, he's has in the past that makes it feel like that much more like, wow, like this really is something of an artistic statement. That's, that's kind of deeper than maybe just sort of like on surface of how I'm reading it. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, like Ian McKay could have actually just literally written this song about what I was just saying about, you know, yeah. uh, people giving him attitude and some internecine music scene nonsense. Um, but, well, look at the, but look yeah, at the, the embrace record. Yeah. 
right? The embrace record, the embrace record is pretty much a one man statement of everything that he believes in very clearly Mm -hmm. song by song. Right. And like you said, it's, it's almost like, yeah, he could totally write a song about that, but all of a sudden it's something a little bit more vague. And yeah, putting it in more vague terms. Exactly. It's, it lays itself more open to interpretation, makes it ultimately more interesting. Like it's, um, like you could you could imagine him taking the same concept and writing like you know that you know that tool song um oh it's i i remember what it's, it's called hooker with a penis do you do you remember oh, this song i do not know that song no I, like, I, I'm it's this whole joke. it's this whole story about like i met a boy who's like where you know he had new tattoos and he was wearing vans and he told me that we were selling out and it's this very explicit story about like this this you know sure uh this little punk giving him uh giving the singer of tool uh shit for for whatever and like it like basically this song could be inspired by exactly the same thing um but right. but uh ian definitely takes it in a more interesting direction although i do like the tool song a lot also oh, i'll have to, have to check that out I don't, I don't think i've ever heard it <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's um it's hard hitting it's funny um i like it <laughs> good good both both good things I did want to bring up, um, I think it's been a, long enough on this show since I uh, brought poetry into it that I can sort of sure. risk doing it again without um, oh, alienating boy. too many <laughs> listeners. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a short poem that I, I just like to share because, so it's by Thomas Hardy, who is perpetually, I feel, overlooked as a poet because, you know, his novels are so famous, Tess of the right. uh, D'Urbervilles and uh, Far From the Matting Crowd. Um, but he really wrote some of the, a few of my just favorite classic poems. Um, I don't think this is one of his best, but I do think it's interesting because, so it's called The Division, and like in this song, he um, he neglects to actually give a name to what The Division is in the title. Um, so I just like it. Uh, let me, I'll read it real quick. Thomas Hardy, The Division. Rain on the windows, creaking doors, with blasts that besom the green. And I am here, and you are there, and a hundred miles between. Oh, were it but the weather, dear, oh, were it but the miles that summed up all our severance, there might be room for smiles. But that thwart thing betwixt us twain, which nothing cleaves or clears, is more than distance, dear, or rain, and longer than the years. It's very, uh, very apropos. Yeah, so in that, of course, it's clearly about like a relationship between two people, um, but yeah, uh, Mr. Hardy doesn't want to say what the titular division is, just that it is something uh, more extreme than than the distance or the current circumstances. So, yeah, I, it, that's one that sticks in my in my memory. Well, I think it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, not to become too poetically inclined in your conversation or anything, or, but I think everyone has experiences where they have a relationship with somebody or something. And distance grows between that. And, you know, sometimes it's an old friend and you guys sort of separate and the, the, the hows and the whys of it are, are never really clear. It just becomes a natural sort of separation that, that occurs over time. And at some point it just becomes a natural, like you could pick up the phone and call them, but you just don't, you could write them an email or write them a letter, but you just don't. It's just the separation just becomes the thing. And then that relationship drifts into nothingness. And whether that's a positive or a negative sometimes isn't even clear. It's just how things change and how things become. And, you know, hearing that poem is sort of similar thought of how it sort of strikes me. It's that, yeah, it's not just, it's not just the distance or the miles. It's something else that, that keeps us separate. And it's just how it is to be kind of Zen about it, you know? And that said, it's very easy to retroactively go back to this and read it sort of as about the end of Fugazi, in a way. Um, you know, it's it's been a long time coming, a long way down. Um, this this is a parting. It's like, yeah, they they didn't um, they didn't part on bad terms. They're still all good friends with each other, but t- sort of to survive, to lead the lives they ultimately wanted to lead. Um, and have and pursue the relationships that were really important to them, they needed to stop playing together and um, tend to their personal lives. So um, it's it's a, yeah, it's a prophetic. Yeah, in a way. Um, it's I, interesting. It's a, it's a, it's really interesting. It's a good point. I, yeah, I I wonder if Ian Mackay would 
would think that there's some relevance there. Um, interesting to think <laughs> about. Definitely. You know, it's funny. I, I, I was working on this project for a while, while uh, when the pandemic started. I was wanting to compile a book of musicians and just ask them from their catalog what their top three songs were. Um, you know, because as a musician, you write songs. It's like, you know, you like your, all your songs, but there's usually ones that you can sit there and say that were important moments of time of, of your creative creative mind or your or your process and so i wrote several musicians that got responses back and i didn't ask them to explain i just wanted to know what the what the songs were that they're most most interested in of, of their catalog and what they're most or what they're most proud of and uh i sent something obviously to 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 ian and uh you know of course being the ever ever um difficult one sometimes in, in an interview <laughs> He was just like, I can't name any of them. They're all my children. I love them all equally. I was like, well, fuck off then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but you know, you, you mentioned the same thing. It's like you wonder if sometimes some of these songs are, um, w- if they would be able to look at them and, and sort of talk more in depth about them and be very curious to sort, sort of see what their interpretations of what they were talking about after the fact might be interesting to see, you know? Yeah. And interestingly enough, from that lens, this is one of those Fugazi songs that really presages what he did in the evens. Like if you played yeah. this song for somebody and then played the evens, it could be, it could almost be like, Oh, it's, this is, is this the same band? Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, with no bass guitar, obviously, but yeah, it's, it has absolutely that feel to me. Yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable. It's also one just because I, I don't think I found a good place to say this before, but I wanted to mention it. It's easy to imagine Ian writing this song on piano. I have no. I was going to say the exact same thing to you. I was going to yeah. say. I was going to ask you. I was like, you, you have to imagine that he was sitting here playing this on the piano, right? I mean, that that guitar riff is just so like you can just hear it. I'd like to hear somebody do this on piano. I don't think I I, I didn't come across anything like that in my searches, but I bet it would be uh, very nice to listen to. Yeah. And it would make yeah, it would probably make perfect sense too. Yeah, because I was I was looking at the at the live series, and the first time I see it that appears is in November of '89, mm-hmm. and it's just, and it's just an it's just an instrumental piece at the beginning of an encore, um, which sort of makes sense because you can sort of imagine that if it was something that he had been riffing on or playing on the piano, and just sort of brought it in to play as a, like you said a breather, it starts to sort of like make sense in that realm. Um, so yeah, and then by the time you know it gets around to being on the record, it's this it's this fully formed thing. But there's not a lot added to it other than the presence of the playing and the lyrics. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Um, I would like to at this point turn to some of our friends on social media who uh, contributed some of their thoughts about this song. Um, a lot of people had something to say about Long Division. Um, I'll just zip through a few of these. Um. Steve Bennett says, strongest song on Steady Diet, incredible bass and drum performances. The drum fills toward the end. And then he uh, he put one of those emojis with the hearts for eyes. Um, and yeah, I have to agree, Steve. Like the the drum fills are godly. I just love listening to Brandon yeah. on this song for sure. Um, and Joe. It's it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint who really puts their best foot forward on this because they are they're all just doing such great stuff. Yep. Uh, Justin Rushgalb says, I've always found their slower slash quiet songs to be the most powerful, and this one is no exception. One of my absolute favorites, although pretty vague, I always took the lyrics to be about how people who wield power will deliberately sow division and discord among the masses. They do this to keep everyone distracted while they gobble up more power and personal gain. The majority of people seek commonality and stability, and I find the I'm not your villain part to be kind of a plea for us to realize this. Couldn't be a more relevant topic for what we've seen for the past four years in the U.S. I could be way off, but just my thoughts. Well, it's very, very astute. Will Rockwell Scott, a professional drummer himself, says one of my all-time favorite Brendan Canty drum performances, and that slinky bass line, too good, and that vocal, steady diet of no reverb indeed. <laughs> Josh Saunders says even though at first the strong vocal melody sticks out, it's ultimately the Canty drumming flourishes and Lally bass line that are astonishing on this one. Also an interesting Fugazi song in that it's only one section, an intro, then uh, an A section repeated riff-wise. No A, B, C, A or anything going on here. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. You can imagine them sort of being like, should we, do we insert some kind of second part, some kind of bridge, something? And being like, no, 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 let's, let's just, it, it's just this. This is all there is. 
yeah. Especially when you hear that, it's like what everyone was just saying. It's like when you get Brendan and Joe playing that drum, that that drum pattern and the bass line, you're just like, this is plenty. There's 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 enough to have here. This is great. Yeah, you could really you could loop it for an hour, and I'd still enjoy. I I'd enjoy listening to them play the same thing for an hour. Just you know, maybe changing it up, doing different drum fills every time, just experimenting yeah. with the guitar. It's um, I don't. I feel like I wouldn't get tired of it. Nope, definitely not. Um, let's see. Uh, Cole Pepper says one of my absolute favorites. Worth checking out the first performance, uh, as you said, um, Brian. Features different lyrics. To my knowledge, they performed it with those lyrics once, then twice, as an instrumental and brought it back with the final lyrics and a different instrumental ending. Yeah, actually, I had looked at a couple of live versions. I feel like sort of in the mid, mid-90s, they would do this, but they would, they would put the ends, they would tag it with this little riff that was like, they would end the song and uh, sort of immediately go into this and it's, it's a cool little riff, but it sort of gave more energy to the ending. They would... Uh, sort of get louder um but i guess they it seems like from what i can tell they stopped doing that um uh, i don't know maybe maybe they just decided uh in, in the spur of the they had enough of that. to do that <laughs> yeah i don't know um let's see uh i have no idea how to pronounce this this is like um finnish or something anti varala a uh, great song on an amazing album. They went boldly forward from repeater and somehow Long Division emphasizes this progress. The bass line is super cool. The melody is simple and emotional and the drums really showcase Brendan's dynamics. In my opinion, the song is about how we're turned against each other and that separation serves the status quo. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, Rudy Bain says, Ian often describes himself as an archivist and this is one of the songs I can see being written from that lens. He often speaks of things as components, individual parts that can be categorized separately and removed from the whole. A parting, a separation, laying in pieces. This imagery is similar in my mind to songs like Birthday Pony, in which he sees different aspects of his life, maybe as him having opened all these separate accounts and split into two. He often describes the perceived physical components while talking about intangible ideas, for instance, wanting an instrument that could weigh loss. In returning the screw... He's discussing a way in which he's been slighted by someone in a hurtful way. In sorting out his feelings, he analyzes the pain as if it has physical components he can separate and archive. Um, yeah, that's that, those are some fascinating parallels. Thanks, Rudy. Very impressive. <laughs> and finally, I love this uh, from Sean Capone, uh, who says, I made up my own lyrics for it that pretended it was Fugazi's intro song they would play at the start of their shows. It always cracked my friends up slash made them mad when I would sing it try it and tell me what you think so i'm going to give this it's due and i'm I'm going to perform sean capone's lyrics for you here we go good i was hoping you're going to sing it let's hear it here we go let's see <clears throat> hi i'm ian mckay that's brendan canty and there's joe lally and me pichotto we are fugazi Washington, D.C. Don't get slam dancy or get kicked out the show. What do you think? I think you've just uh, <laughs> taken the show in a whole different direction. <laughs> Sean, I feel so akin to you. I am always making up stupid lyrics and putting them to little tunes and then, uh, you know, getting that stuck in my own head and uh, <laughs> annoying myself in that way. So, um, yeah, I, I totally relate to you doing that. And this is probably something that's going to be stuck in my own head for a while too. Um, you want, you might want to hire him for the show and have him just do a version of every song that you guys talk about at the end. Yeah. Sean can be the weird owl of the alphabetical Fugazi. Um, done and done. <laughs> no, I, I had, I posted in the Facebook group um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, because it just popped into my head like, yeah, it's a parody version of this could be a great theme song for WandaVision, Marvel's yeah. little uh, episodic TV thing. It's WandaVision. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> he could just make a ton of money off it. It'll be all set. Anyway, enough of that silliness. It's time for ratings. Gee! 
You know it. I know it. It's time to talk about if we were to rate this song from one star to five stars in the context of the Fugazi catalog. Uh, let me give it to you, Brian Sokol. How do you think Long Division ranks? I got to give it a five. I don't see I don't see how when something that's so uniquely placed in their catalog as a, as a sort of a transition from one style to another and the playing and the the flawless nature of the bass line and the guitar line interweave and the drums it's a hot five for me a hot five you know what you know what me too i'm giving Uh, it a five long division it's um yeah i just keep (laughs) i think ultimately i keep coming back to that drum part it's (laughs) such great drums Oh man, that shuffle and with them, it stops on that those two snare hits. Those it's great. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. I feel like if I ever get back to playing music with people in some kind of a live setting, I really <laughs> want to bring this song in. I don't care if I'm playing guitar or playing bass or whatever. It would be fun to play this with somebody and and just jam on it in a in an eternal loop. Just enjoy it. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, speaking of playing live music, plugs. Never Brian Sokol, where can listeners reach you? And if you want, you can say if you have anything coming up you want to plug or something you did in the past that you want people to go back and listen to. Uh, what do, what have you got? Well, I would say, you know, I had mentioned, you mentioned it earlier. I actually have a blog called gokidgo.org, um, which is a sort of a my recollections of being, of playing music through the 90s, um, and that the Fugazi show that we mentioned in the show is, is talked about in depth there. Um, I played, you know, I played in a band called Franklin, which, you know, you can find us on any sort of mysterious streaming service that you choose to use in Bandcamp. And I'm actually uh, have a new band called Dead Best that has a record coming out um, this summer, actually. Uh, a friend of mine who was also a musician, we started working through the pandemic and someone actually wants to put it out which is strange in this time zone in this world. Um, and it'll be out this summer. So yeah, the band's called dead best and you can check it out in this, in the future. Beautiful. Well, send me any specific links and I'll be happy to put them in the show notes for you. So listeners can just go ahead and click right on through. And I also want to tell you, Ian, you're doing a great job. Your, your, uh, your analysis of the, of the catalog of Fugazi has been great to listen to and very interesting. So keep it up. Oh, thanks very much, Brian. Um, it's, uh, I appreciate the kind words. It's nice to hear from you, and it's nice to hear from all you listeners, too. And uh, if you want me to hear from you, well, you can do that at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com, um, and I will get back to you. Other than that, don't have many plugs other than spread the word about the show if you can. You can join that Facebook group and uh, let us know what you think about the next song that I'll be uh, going to listeners to beg for your comments on. Um, Other than that, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Margin Walker. Until then, keep your eyes open.